0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray that if our hearts waver in the truth of this, that you would reaffirm it, that we would find strength, that you would bring us out of darkness and into light, and that you would give us life eternal. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be only acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I think there's, there's some things that we all have universally experienced. One of which is, is those nights where we can't sleep because we're upset about something or worrying about something or hurt or sad or something along that lines. For me, I can think of, of a, a few different occasions where this happened. The first being when my grandfather died, who I'd been taking care of. I had gone to work, and about 20 minutes into work, my, I think mom called. Somebody called and told me that he had died, so I had to run home. And then, of course, that whole night was sort of this upset, not sleeping. And then, of course, the next one was when my grandmother, her, her, or his wife, died. It was a very similar experience as we sat with her as she was dying, waiting for the Lord to take her home. Or more recently, when we were waiting to find out what was going on with our baby and just kind of, I, I told one friend, well, if I don't sleep, it, it prolongs till the morning comes and I, can, I, I don't have to receive bad news. We all, all know that feeling, right? One of these is probably tugging on your heartstring. You're, you're like, yeah, I, I remember that night. And that's where we meet Mary this morning. She had that night. And then, and then some of us probably also remember like at some point early in the morning, we finally are like, I give up. I'm going to go do dishes or I'm going I'm to do laundry or mow the lawn or, or something because just sitting there is awful. And that's what happens with Mary. She's been, she, she made it through the, the Sabbath day. She, she was tried to calm herself and then she just finally can't lay in bed anymore. She can't sit waiting anymore. So she goes off to the Lord's grave. And we read that it's the first day of the week and Mary of Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. It was probably, so probably something like five or so in the morning, late enough that it would have been safe for some women to be walking down the street, but not so late, or, not, or early enough rather, that it was safe, but not so early that there's probably a bad idea for them to be out there alone. And so she goes while the city is still quiet, but there's kind of an interesting thing that John does in his gospel. He talks about light and darkness, right? If you remember back, of course, the, the Christmas gospel is the pinnacle of that, where we hear that Jesus is the light that brings life to man or to humanity. So, so there's this, this interplay. And, and part of what's going on here is John is drawing our attention to the fact that Mary does not yet understand, nor do, dis, nor do the disciples there is still no understanding as to what is happening here. They're in the darkness. And perhaps if, you, if you're here today, for whatever reason, somebody dragged you, somebody, you think, well, it's Easter Sunday, I should be in church, something along that lines, perhaps you're similar. You're still not entirely crystal clear about who Jesus is. But John is going to slowly bring this light to us. So what Mary is doing is she's going out to the tomb to care for the body. For those of you who are here regularly, you remember our sermon a few weeks ago on Lazarus. And and remember, if Lazarus died on a Friday, which we don't know what day he did, but if Lazarus died on the Friday, it would be Monday. It would be tomorrow that, that, that the miracle of the raising of Lazarus occurred. It occurred on the fourth day. So a day after today. And so what they would do is they would go out and they would bring spices and all of this. And we read about it in, in other gospel accounts. They're going out to put spices into Jesus's tomb because what happens on the fourth day is the body starts to, to get stinky, starts to smell. And so they bring, but Mary and her friends are bringing these spices out to put them in the bodies, into the tomb so that to care for their Lord. And then we get to the end of verse one and, and, we can imagine how it feels, right? You, you've, you've, we've all had this. This is another one of those universal experiences, right? Like you, you're pretty sure you left your car in row 22 of the mall or the the grocery store, right? And you walk down row 22 and your car's not there, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, did somebody steal my car?" Yeah. If it's me, I just parked in row 23 or something, and I forgot. But, but there's like this sinking feeling, and of course, if it's your friend's body, it's so much worse. Right, she maybe, but maybe she's like, well, well, maybe, maybe it's the tomb over there. I can't, I can't remember. But pretty soon, y- you see in the text that she realizes, and it's that like the heart just shoots up into her throat. Right, we've we've experienced that when we realize something horrible has happened. And what she does is she just runs. Maybe she drops what she has. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. But but we can see her running back. And, and just blasting into to Peter and John's room or, or, or wherever they're staying. They're staying somewhere. And just blurting out, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. <clears throat> You've perhaps seen this incredible painting by Eugene. His name is Eugene Bernand of Peter and John running, right? If you know the painting, you can visualize it. If you don't know it, I, I told Ronnie, I have a picture for, for the newsletter, and I'll put it on the website so you can look it up and see it, because it's, it's a really amazing painting of this scene, right? John and, and Peter are kind of leaned forward, and their hair is blowing back, and you can see on their face the emotion that they're feeling, and it's really an amazing feeling, and, and then in the back, of the painting the the backdrop of the painting is the sunrise the sun's not quite risen but but there's orange speckled throughout the, the, the background and it's a it's a beautiful beautiful painting and i it's it's one that I think really captures the emotion and the imagery of what's happening here as as John and Peter sprint sprint back to the grave to the tomb and you might might read this if you're an astute reader if you if you pay attention and i hope all of you do i think john gives some really odd details right right so first and foremost <clears throat> mary says this we do not know and and some people might read this and be like well in one count it's just mary and in another count it's mary and her friends and like what's going on there but john is highlighting mary specifically and then he also talks about how, how he and Peter run, right? He's the disciple whom whom Jesus loved. For those of you who don't know that, that's who, who is he's referring to. He's referring to himself that way. <clears throat> so he and John run, or he and Peter run rather, and, and something interesting happens, right? He, they talk about, he talks about how, how he gets to the grave and he looks in, but he, he doesn't go in. And Peter just runs by him and, and maybe even pushes him out of the way and goes right into the tomb. And and then there's the detail of the linen cloth and the face cloth, right? Of, of all places, I think Harry Potter actually helps us here to understand what John is doing. <laughs> Believe it or not, trust me, I, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Usually. Right now I do, though. <clears throat> and there's this scene, for those of you who are familiar, Ron is, is kind of explaining to Harry, like when I, when I had to lie about something... I told a, a partial truth because therefore there was like a ground for him to keep the truth, the, the story going. You see, what what Ron is explaining really well in that scene, if you know where the scene I'm talking about, is it's really hard to keep a lie straight, right? If you if you make up a story, pretty soon it's just gonna make no sense. You know, you, you caught a fish that was this big and this big and your rod broke and it didn't broke, you know, the, the, the classic fishing tale and it was on several rivers that this happened, right? So as soon as you, you tell a lie, it just falls apart. <clears throat> what John is doing here is he's showing us the true details of what happened. Not because they're, they're glamorous or even all that believable, but because they're true. And so to tell the truth is much, much easier than to tell a lie, and we start with Mary Magdalene, who is, who is utterly fascinating. right? If, if you know the story of Mary Magdalene at all, n- not the story that you read in Dan Brown, that's all hogwash, just please know that, but, but the story that comes out in Scripture. Mary Magdalene was a woman who had seven demons cast out of her. <clears throat> Mary Magdalene who who in church lore, really early church lore, some thought to even be a prostitute, was the first witness to Christ's resurrection. My goodness, if you are making up this story, pick Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was certainly trustworthy. Joseph was rich. I mean, who wouldn't believe the aristocrat? But it's this woman who has a strange reputation, who had certainly been possessed, who is by God's good providence, the witness to this event. Mary, not John, not Peter, not Nicodemus, not Joseph, Mary Magdalene. My friends, you can't make this up. And then Peter, John, and John starts to unpack even further this almost race that he and and Peter have. And it's all these kind of odd details, but, but it's because that's what happened. And again, even like Peter charging into the tomb, right? We can, we can visualize this. And if, if you've read any scripture at all, you, you know, Peter, like many of us struggled with self-control. If somebody was going to like barge into a tomb, it would be Peter. It wouldn't be John, it wouldn't be Thomas, it wouldn't be any of the other disciples. It would have been Peter. So we start to see this thing makes more and more sense. And then finally, the, the linen cloth and the, and the folded up and the face cloth. Now, we, we had a much more colorful conversation about it during staff Bible study, which I promise you we won't unpack <clears throat> here, but if you're going to steal a body, you're not gonna take the linen cloth off of the body. It's gonna be a lot easier and other things to just throw the linen over the body wrapped in linen over your shoulders and, and go with it. So so the linen being taken off and the face cloth being separated gives us this this realistic thing that Christ is not there. He is something amazing has happened. Christ has been raised risen from the dead. My my favorite Easter quote to quote on Easter Sunday comes from Chuck Colson. For those of you who are history buffs, you know who Chuck Colson was. He was one of Richard Nixon's advisors, and of course he went to prison for being one of Richard Nixon's advisors. He was not, at that point in life, a great role model. Later, in prison, Chuck met Jesus, and, and it changed his life. And so you might know him from his prison ministry or, or more from, from his political history, but either one, you may have heard of him, and if not, now you know who Chuck Colson is. But he wrote this great little quote. He writes, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it everyone was beaten tortured stoned and put in prison they would have endured they would not have endured that if it weren't true watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie straight for three weeks you're telling me the 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years Absolutely impossible. Yes, the details of this story are strange. They seem strange not because they're fabricated, but because John is very intentional in writing out what happened. The gospel lesson this morning ends with something of a mystery, doesn't it? We really want to hear of Jesus' resurrection, but but we drop it off before we get there. But it ends with this image of John seeing and believing. Yet they, he and Peter, did not yet understand what the scriptures had to say. This morning, we end here because John is begging a question. Because John doesn't write his gospel account for me or for those of you who are walking faithfully with Christ. He writes his gospel for those of you who do not know Jesus. And in this, he begs the question, do you believe? He writes this question and says, I have shown you the evidence. Are you sitting in darkness or are you willing to walk? in the light. My friends, if you are here today and you do not know Christ or you feel like you're faltering, ask one of your neighbors if they would be willing to start reading the gospel according to St. John with you. If this makes you nervous, I want to invite you to just start with the first 18 sentences. We would love to introduce you to our living Lord. We would love for you to know him as we know him. Because this is the easter question in not seeing but hearing alone do you believe do you believe that christ is risen from the dead the gospel lesson this morning you may have noticed started with this little phrase now on the first day of the week john doesn't say on the third day from his death or anything along that lines but starts with the first day. The new week, it is a new beginning, and he invites you and I into this new beginning. My friends, I pray if you do not know Christ, that today would be the first day of the rest of your life, the first day of believing, even if you do not yet understand. I pray that if you came here this morning and you feel weary, you feel weak, that you would be renewed, that you would be reinvigorated, that today would be the start of a new day for you. I pray that if you came here this morning, heartbroken as Mary, sorrowful as Peter and John, that today would be the first day of your healing. But above all else, I pray that this morning you can join me in believing and proclaiming and knowing that, alleluia, Christ is risen. Lord is Amen. Amen.